This is Five on Three, center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Welcome to another episode of Five on Three, WFUV's NHL podcast. Alongside Tyler Mooney and Chris Hennessy, I'm Colin Lochran. Gentlemen, we're through the first month of the season officially as we get into November here. Still so much hockey to be played, so much to be discussed today. But first, Tyler, how are you today? I'm doing well, Colin. I hope you two gentlemen are doing well as well. Uh, yeah, a lot of news going on in the NHL. Some good New York teams all playing pretty well right now. Some bad. We'll obviously get into the Blackhawks scandal and the fallout from that, but I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's obviously been a, uh, a tough week to be a hockey fan, tough week to do this and do all the stuff we do here. Um, and yesterday was kind of the uh, cherry on top for that, for sure. Absolutely, Chris. And before we get into the hockey, there is uh, a darker subject matter that we do have to address first on this show. According to a lawsuit filed in May, which is where this dates back to and even further, by a former Blackhawks player who we only recently found out was Kyle Beach, former video coach Brad Aldrich sexually assaulted him and one other player during a 2010 Stanley Cup run. The investigation found that there was a certain level of cover-up here executed by people in the Blackhawks front office and others. In the time since this info was released... Stan Bowman, Coach Q, they've resigned from their jobs, and this has raised all sorts of questions regarding culpability and other factors. The Blackhawks have been fined $2 million by the NHL. So much to really dig into here and such an upsetting bit of news and upsetting situation overall. Gary Bettman releasing video the other day on his thoughts of what was going on here. I know I have my thoughts, but first, Chris, what do you make of this situation? Yeah, well, I mean, you talk about we we joke all the time on this podcast about how you have the mis- most mistimed podcast in the history of the world, and obviously you guys were not with us last week. But I posted the podcast on the website, and about two minutes later, the Blackhawks was anna- announced they were going to have this press conference, and the week has unfolded since. But I'm glad we're doing this now because we have a chance to react to everything that's happened as Gary Bettman attempted to close the book on this yesterday. Um, it's been it's been extremely frustrating, I think, because of the amount of lying that's happened, um, to be perfectly frank, and straight contradictions from yesterday's press conference um, and th- throughout all of all of this. Um, you, you mentioned that Bowman, Al McIsaac, the VP of Hockey Ops, and uh, Joel Quenville were all fired. Kevin Chevaldeoff wasn't, um, and that was certainly a, a topic yesterday. But, yeah, it's been, it's been really frustrating because... Every time you looked to somebody to say the right thing, Tyler, nobody did except for like John Tortorella on ESPN and maybe Danny Wirtz at the end of the original press conference when he said the whole thing about like the the best part of this game is is team success over individual prowess and but team success success shouldn't come over well-being or something like that. Those are about the only two people that have said the right thing. Uh, over the last seven days. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, and that goes from the top of the top of the NHL with the press conference that we saw from Gary Bettman and Bill Daly yesterday, all the way down to members of the Blackhawks. I was talking with Colin before we started recording. I mean, the comments that Jonathan Taves made, this was a guy who has been lauded for the past decade as one of the greatest leaders in the NHL, one of the greatest leaders this game has ever seen. And 
at least in my personal opinion, I think the opinion shared by many, he completely missed the mark with his comments. I believe they were four or five days ago now. Yeah, they were after Wednesday's game against Toronto. Yeah, I mean, he he basically... Uh, the two things I got from it were, A, hit one of his major goals in there was clearly to distance himself as far away from the situation as possible. He was, you know, repeating, I didn't know anything about this at the time, which, uh, take that for you will. I, I don't know if that's really true or not. And even the investigation didn't really leave much light on that. But to, to come out and he said, uh, the direct quote that he said was that he... Alan Stan, they're yeah, not directly Alan complicit. Alan Stan, they're not directly complicit. I have that written argument. down too. Yeah, and I mean for that to just come out and say something like that, that's a blatantly false. It's just a lie. What this investigation has come through, but even if that's something that you believe personally, if you're Jonathan Taves, to come out and say that as the leader of the Chicago Blackhawks now and as the leader of the Chicago Blackhawks at the time, he was the captain when this happens. I think it's it, it might have been the worst thing that he could have said, and I was completely shocked that he would come out and say just a complete lie like that, and it really, this, I'm Jonathan Taves is a player who, growing up, I admired him, I obviously am not a black I wore number 19 because of Jonathan Taves. He's a, I mean, he was a great leader, obviously a leader of some amazing teams, but I think my opinion of him has been permanently tarnished from the statements that he made. The main question that this raises for me what happened? I know that's a broad question, but this is 2010. This is a long time ago, right? I can't help but feel so bad for Kyle Beach yeah. throughout all of this. This is the one thing that I think is not getting enough attention. The amount of strength it takes for him to come out of the woodwork now and say what was actually happening. And in terms of Bowman and Quenville and everyone in the Blackhawks organization, the owners... I'm not shedding any tears for them. Not one bit. The $2 million that the NHL fined them? Penny cash. Oh, my it's, God. It's, it's couch ch- change. It's chump change. Am I the only one who thinks that's no, no, way no. too it's soft? Been, it's been all over the place. The Coyotes got stripped a first-round draft pick because they had a couple guys like shoot hoops in a gym, and these guys are get to pay less than they're paying Nikita Zadorov for covering up sexual assault. It's ridiculous. The Devils got fined more for cap circumvention yeah. with Ilya Kovalchuk. And I actually I have a direct quote. Gary Bettman said in his press conference, Ugh, the fine was a substan- was substantial by any measure. The Blackhawks made in the last non-COVID messed with season, they made $178 million in revenue in 2019-2020. Two million is a little over 1% of that. I don't know if this just me, but I think everyone would agree that w- a little over 1% of their yearly revenue, not even the revenue that this team has made over the past decade as multiple-time Stanley Cup champions playing deep into the playoffs with these games that are nationally broadcast and all the revenues from jerseys, $2 million is it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. So to see Gary Bettman come out and to, for the NHL to even give a fine that insignificant but then to try and come out and defend it as this is such some massive fine, uh, it was embarrassing, frankly. Embarrassing on every level. And also, how are people going to remember that 2010 team now? Not well. Because I can tell you guys firsthand, that team was something that got me into the sport of hockey. Like, I was a young kid watching Blackhawks, Jonathan Taves, as you said, Patrick Kane, all those guys. This tarnishes that team, in my estimation. Because when something this dark happens within the walls of that clubhouse, you, you can't cover that up years later and expect people not to take that into account or consideration when they're thinking about NHL history. Yeah, no, that's that's very well said, and it was one of the questions 
uh, that was asked to Bettman yesterday, and he basically he did, I mean he didn't get an answer to any of the questions, but one of the reporters was like, "How do you, how do you what do you say to the fans that are grappling with this?" And he was just basically like, "Everybody has to create their own opinion." Pretty much was his answer. But yeah, I mean, and now on top of it, this is a team who finally got their first win last night, but they've been struggling at the ticket gate before this. They lost their sellout streak that had been going on since two thousand eight. Uh, 530-something consecutive games. Um, and they had less than 16,000 people in the arena for the first time, and I don't even remember how long it was. It was a long time uh, last night. So on top of putting out a product on the ice that is less than desirable, I think we can all agree on that. We've had we had fun at their expense on this podcast because of that. That their legacy is now tarnished. The only legacy that this team has post nineteen sixty one is completely tarnished. So I don't know how the how the Wirtz family can expect people of Chicago, the season ticket holders or the lifelong fans or or whatever it is, to to pay the exorbitant prices to get into the United Center, especially when the team who who takes up the other half of the United Center is is playing very well. I know this is an NBA podcast, but the Bulls are playing very well. So if I'm a fan of a Chicago team, and I'm only going to one game this winter, it's sure as hell not a Blackhawk game. So it's it, it's it's frustrating because a lot of people could have said could have said the right thing now, which I guess would have not really meant that much. Certainly could have done the right thing in 2010, and we aren't here sitting here having this conversation today. Um, but here we are because because Joel Quenville himself is quoted in the report as saying like, yeah. Yeah, winning the Stanley Cup was more yeah. important than than the health of Kyle Beach. So it's it's just been an incredibly frustrating week beginning to end for sure. Yeah, that especially that comment from Quinville was pretty shocking to read. I mean, I we we will certainly I don't think ever see him behind an NHL no, bench again, no maybe even a hockey bench again. And yeah, I mean it goes to what you both have been saying, just tarnishing the legacy of the one of the great teams and the great runs that the NHL has ever seen, and I don't think they will ever be viewed the same way. And going back to you know the things that Quinville said and the things that were discussed in that meeting, I know it was very it, the the point was pushed across pretty heavily by Gary Bettman in the press conference the other day, where he said you know there's conflicting reports of what has said in the meeting. I think the investigation reflected that you know some people didn't remember, but I want to talk a bit about how. Kevin Dayoff is being given hmm. an absolute pass right now. And I think this was one of the, if not the main contradiction that Gary Bettman made in this press conference because he made Gary Bettman made Kevin Dayoff seem like an intern. That's correct. Kevin Dayoff was the assistant general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks. Like this wasn't some low level guy that happened to be in the wrong meeting at the wrong time and didn't know what was going on, but yet that was the exact picture that Gary Bettman painted. He said that Kevin Sheveldayoff was a very small part of the organization. He had a very limited role. He didn't know what was happening, and he said ultimately that Kevin had no reason to believe that whatever was going on was not being taken up by higher-ups in the organization. And when I heard Gary say that, I mean, this was a direct contradiction in my opinion of something he had said just earlier in the press conference where you know there's there's certain issues and and certain things that if they're going on in your organization that they need to be handled and they need it doesn't really matter you know the level 
they're at, you need to make sure. And this was this kind of goes on what with what he was saying about you know the Wurtz's responsibility, how they you know apparently did not know. But there's certain things that if these things happen in your organization, we have values as human beings and as yeah. moral people to maybe push a little further and say, hey, has this situation been figured out? And for Kevin Cheveldayoff to be, and, and a reporter asked this question, Kevin Cheveldayoff has been an NHL GM for, what, 10 years now? He left the Blackhawks shortly after the first ring. I think it was 2012. So, yeah, he's been a general manager for nine years now. Yeah, I mean, it. it I, here, I have the exact quote now. Matters of urgency and importance, matters that challenge the values of your organization, need to rise as high as possible and as high as necessary to get taken care of. I mean, that's a Bettman quote. That's a Bettman quote. My my question to Bettman would be: This was I thought that all the reporters did a fantastic job asking Agreed. the right questions. There's one question that I wanted to be asked that was not, and it was this: Kevin Cheveldayoff rested his laurels on. Well, I wasn't the highest ranking person in that room. Everybody else was, so I just I thought everybody else was handling it. So when he was out of the building, as far as I was concerned, my hands were clean. Okay, that's garbage. We all know that. Fine. Stan Bowman said the exact same damn thing. The exact same thing about John McDonough. To a T, the exact same thing. So my question would have been, if the Chicago Blackhawks did not let go of Stan Bowman, what would you have done? Because it's clear that he would not have fired him and that he would not have forced his resignation. The only reason that Quenville was forced his resignation is he's technically Aldrich's boss as, his co- as the coach of the team. John McDonough has not been with the team since just before the bubble started, I believe. He left in April of 2020. So everybody looked at John McDonough, who is a buck-stops-here type of guy, and I I tend to actually do believe that the Wurtzes did not know uh, about it simply because this 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 report hold, held no bars at all. I mean, this was full out against pretty much everybody. So I tend to believe that they didn't know. Uh, be, and especially because in in the research I did to to be here today, McDonough was was kind of a buck stops with me type of guy, and and Rocky Wirtz wanted him to run the organization and have his hands off of it because clearly what he had been doing in the past was not working. Remember the Blackhawks before the Cup runs were terrible for years, so clearly what he was doing was not working, and he put it into the hands of McDonough, and he created what was a really good team for. Seven years, six years, whatever it was. This might sound overly pessimistic. I have a very hard time believing the words just didn't know anything was going on here. I, 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 I understand just... that. I understand that. I, I listened to some Chicago podcasts and stuff, and and they know him a lot better than I do, John McDonough, and they say that he's the type of guy that he was like, he he was, you know, the, the guy that ran the organization and it wasn't Rocky Words was what I I took away from that. So I I understand that, but to me, to to have that report come out with all of the terrible things it said about every single person, including the acting general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, I think it might have, I think it would have said something. Absolutely. The last thing I do want to get your guys' opinion on on this matter, because I think it's something that's not getting talked about enough. Mental skills coach at the time, James Gary was in a conversation with Quenville and Cheveldayoff. Why is this name not getting mentioned more? I know he doesn't have the cachet of those other guys, but he's just as culpable, especially given his job description and his job title in this case, mental skills coach. He was also the guy that Beach said in the interview told him it was his fault. Absolutely. So this, yeah, 
I mean, he was fired. He was fired between the report coming the 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 suit being filed and the report coming out. He had been fired between May and October. So I think that they knew he was going to be in this somehow and just cut ties with him completely. Right. This is and he and he'll be and he'll never get a job again. McDonald will never get a job again. He's older anyways. He probably never would have. None of these guys. None, none, none of those six guys who are, who are no longer... Seven people were in the room. One of them still has a job. Six don't. None of those six people are ever getting a job again. Ah, my personal opinion. I don't, I don't think that there's any way you could hire any of those guys. Um, but, uh, yeah. I I do want to get to Akeem Aliou, so let's not jump to Adam Fox too quickly, but it looked like you had something to say. No. Okay. Jump right in. All I'll have to say is those men shouldn't work again. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think that that is that is never going to happen. I I do truly believe that, and somebody else I truly believe that about is Bill Peters. Um, right. And we had a, a discussion on this podcast before you guys were with us about the Kimalu situation, and you can go back and listen to that if you don't remember. Basically, the 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 allegation, and there's no reason to believe it isn't true, is that Akeem Aliu was was targeted racially by Bill Peters when he was the head coach of a junior team, and Akeem Aliu was on it. This investigation has been going on for just about two calendar years now. Obviously, there's been a global pandemic, so it probably took a little bit of a, a headed to the back burner when the league stopped and the bubble and all that. And I think that's understandable to a degree, but it's been a long time now. So Bill Daly and Gary Bettman were asked point blank, point blank, by Frank Cervelli, I think. I believe so. What is the situation regarding Akeem Aliu? And Bill Daly said the investigation has been completed, which Akeem Aliu's representation says is news to them. Which is, I, th- that was the most like obviously the whole Blackhawks thing is incredibly disheartening and horrible and gut wrenching and all that. And they probably lied somewhere in the talk about the Blackhawks, but we won't know that maybe. For Bill Daly to look into the camera. Look at people who work for the rights holders who just paid billions of dollars for this. Look at the fans who he's expecting to pay tickets and full buildings again. And just straight up a lie. That pissed me off yesterday. Seeing the tweet that Akeem Aliu was like, yeah, no, that dude, I haven't heard anything about the investigation being complete. That That's ridiculous. For him to just look in the camera and straight up lie and expect nobody to find out about it. After the whole thing is about lying. The entire investigation that happens is about lying. Oh, yeah, that's bad, especially considering, you know, the the vast majority of the press conference was either Bettman or Bill Daly squirming their way through, you know, not answering questions or giving roundabout answers. It's the one question he answered. The one question that he answered, and it was a complete lie. It, uh, yeah, it's honestly, it leaves me kind of speechless. It's like, why? Why would you... Why would you lie about this and expect it not to get released? And it just it's even an even worse look for the NHL now. Incredibly disheartening situation overall. So much to unpack still with the Blackhawks. I have a feeling this is not over. We're gonna be hearing much, much more about 100%. this as things develop. But I do want to shift to something maybe a lot more lighthearted in nature. Adam Fox of the New York Rangers. Had a big payday. Agreed to a seven-year, $66.5 million contract extension. Man, oh, man. Norris winner. We knew this guy was going to get paid. I'm thinking off the top of my head, this is a great signing for the Rangers because he's reliable. 
He's a great piece for them. Erty has seven assists this year. Had a great goal against the Kraken in a game where there was not a whole lot going on offensively. Really has become one of those guys you can rely on on that roster. Even Larry Brooks, notoriously tough New York Post columnist. His headline today, Rangers could not go wrong by paying Adam Fox big money. I couldn't agree with him more. Chris, I'm going to swing it to you first here. What do you make of Fox's extension? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to complain about. I certainly thought it would happen at the end of the season, but I think that as a Ranger fan, as Ranger fans, both of you, you should be grateful that you're not in a Brady Kachuk, Matt Barzell situation where there's sitting out and Brady Kachuk ended up missing regular season games. Um, And also, there's not a Barzell situation where he's going to be a free agent again in three years Um, because you're going to have the guy... I mean, I guess he also could potentially be the captain, although I don't know that he gets it over some of these other guys. Um, the guy on your defense for the next eight years and probably longer, he, I mean, he completely forced his way to the Rangers. We know that. He he wiggled his way out of Calgary and out of Carolina to get there, and there was no way he wasn't going to sign the deal. And and to get it in the middle of the season, I think it puts a little bit of ease maybe in, in the Ranger fan brain and maybe in his own brain and not that he hasn't played well. He's played fantastic. But, um, yeah, I think there's no way you could go wrong. He'll be 31, I think, when it expires, and he'll be able to break the bank again in eight years and um, be one of the uh, – we were just talking about this beforehand. He'll he'll make well over $100 million in his career, and deservedly so from what we've seen so far. He won the Norris going away last year, so no problems here. Yeah, I saw a tweet going back to what you said, Colin, about even Larry Brooks approving <laughs> of this deal. I, somebody said, I don't think Rangers Twitter has ever been as united as they've been over this Adam Fox signing. It, it's a deal that you literally you can't be mad oh, about. Stealing Artemi Panarin from the Islanders definitely wasn't a, a, a kumbaya <laughs> moment for Rangers Twitter. No, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, 100%. You guys are right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, Fox, uh, this seems like it's starting to become the trend in the NHL, you know, signing these young defenses up in extensions before you get into a Kachuk-like situation. We saw happen with McCarr and McAvoy recently. But talk about what a weekend for Adam Fox. He gets three (laughs) assists on Friday night in maybe the Rangers' most dominant game of the season. One of those assists, I believe it was to Lafreniere, was just completely out of this world. He circles the net, no look, cross-crease to Lafreniere. That was sweet pass. And then Sunday, game-winning goal against the Kraken. And then he wakes up. Monday morning, and he's got $67 million. So you thought you guys had good weekends. Adam <laughs> well, Fox had to, probably a better one. To your point about that game Friday, prime example of why they need Adam Fox on their team and prime example of why he is worth this money, that pass to Lafreniere, I guarantee you not a single soul in the garden thought that was getting through. And God bless him, he got it through so nicely. Lafreniere had an easy shot. And that place went nuts. Oh he he is a transformative player for this franchise, and they, they really do need it if they're going to compete for Cups anytime soon. You know, something I'm thinking about with this is, okay, you paid him this money, right? How are you going to build around that now based on what you have? You gave Zavanajad the contract. Something quick I want to dive into here. How are you going to build around that given that you're hedging your bets on Fox, and rightfully so, as we seem to agree? But what is the next logical step here? It's tough because obviously you look, and we could talk about Morgan Riley if we want to, but you look to Toronto as kind of a cautionary tale of this, where Toronto paid a guy who at that time was commanding $11 million from every single team in the league, including the Islanders and John Tavares. They paid Austin Matthews 
11 and a half million dollars and he's going to make he's going to talk about break the bank. He's up in two or three years, I think right after the flat cap. That dude is going to absolutely get paid whether it's by Toronto or somebody else. And they did the same thing with Mitch Marner. And now they paid Morgan Riley and, and you're starting to see kind of the core members, the middle six forwards kind of slip away a little bit. Um to the point where it's possible and it's not confirmed but it's rumored they weren't going to be able to afford Taylor Hall in any situation at the trade deadline last year. So that's kind of the cautionary tale is how do you how in the NHL in general and now in the flat cap do you build around three players making over not over eight mil four players making over eight million dollars in Truba Fox, Zabanajan and Panarin. That is that is a question. I think that is a legitimate question, but with the infusion of youth that's coming to the Rangers with Lafreniere, with Heedle, obviously Kraftoff hasn't worked out to this point, but maybe he he kind of resurfaces with Lunkus. I think that they're going to be in a better position than Toronto just because Toronto has not had that success in the draft, has not had that, that luck with the with the lottery balls. Um, so I think that it's not really going to be a problem in the near future, two or three years. Four or five years down the road, maybe this team just looks like four dudes skating around with a bunch of beer leaguers. I don't know. But for right now, I think I think things are looking up, no doubt about it. Yeah, that Truba contract is definitely... It doesn't look good. You could have one... I, I people hate on the Kreider contract. I I liked it, and I mean, Chris Kreider, elite goal scorer. Right yeah, right now. now, yeah. He's I, I I we talked about this last year. Chris Kreider just has these like random twenty five game <laughs> stretches where he literally scores twenty five and twenty five, and he won't do anything in he'll and then in the other forty games or whatever he'll have like six goals, but in the stretches and he's in one of them right now. He's like the range. He turns into this goal-scoring phenom, and he's in that right now. So I mean, I I, I love Chris Kreider. I've, he's always been one of my favorite players. So I'm happy the Rangers signed him. But you know that Truba contract, especially with the no movement clause, is looking rough right now. But yeah, you said it, Chris. This team has so much youth, and you know it, it's a little rough in the fact that you know Kako's probably not gonna command that much money this off season. It's, yep. It stinks because he hasn't been you know maybe performing to the levels that he thought they would be or they thought he would be but I think I, I agree Chris I think it, it shouldn't be an issue right now and listen I mean you do always have to look at teams like Toronto as you know you don't want to get in that situation but it, it's a fine line between trying not to pay guys too much and paying these guys what they deserve because you know Adam Fox absolutely deserves the money that he got and he's a player that the Rangers absolutely need to keep Artemi Panarin absolutely deserves the money yeah. he's got so it's it's a cautionary tale and you know we're seeing how much analytics is starting to play a role in NHL and decision-making. And, you know, the analytics from what I've read would argue, you know, pay these guys what they're worth. So, I mean, Adam Fox, you can make an argument is worth 12, $13 million a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's getting nine and a half. <laughs> so hypothetically you're getting a deal on that. Right. I don't know how much it actually turns out to be a deal when you crunch the numbers and you have 22, 23 other guys to sign, but it's, it's, uh, it's a problem, but I feel like it's a good problem to have when, yeah. oh, no, we're paying the reigning Norris Trophy winner, and, oh, no, we're paying an MVP candidate from two years ago all this money. It's it. I'd rather be paying those guys than old dudes. who. And, and another team you have to look at it as a cautionary tale is San Jose, who's got five five guys taking up 50% of their salary cap, and it's a complete disaster over there. And I, I know I sound like a hater right now, but <laughs> I, I promise you I'm not being. It's just... This is the kind of stuff that scares me, and I think it's partially because I just had this like this crisis moment with the Islanders where I looked at the cap sheet. And I was like, "Holy crap, they got to pay all these guys, and we're going to turn into the San Jose Sharks." And then it ended up that Pelican Pulak took 
took deals and they still have to sign Barzell and Dobson. But it, it's you're like the first piece to fall is going to be Ryan Strom. And it's how how is Philip Heedle going to be able to step up and take the spot of Ryan Strom? That is next year's, I think, number one. Is how is Philip Heedle going to step up and take the spot of Ryan Strom? And and we'll see how that goes. That, that's obviously something that yeah. we have to wait till next it, year for. But it's not looking great right now. I mean, yeah, he's and had he's a, just he's been had okay. a rough start he, for the season. Yeah, he definitely looked rough in the neutral zone the other night. I don't think he quite knows how to handle himself at this level yet. But you know, all nitpicking aside. Rangers fans got to be happy right now. Oh my with god, how they're playing. Yeah, absolutely. 6 2 and 1. I didn't think they were going to be 6 2 and 1 at this point. And the last two games they played were actually examples of how everything can go right and how everything can go wrong almost in unison. Look at the second game against Seattle on Halloween. Everything kind of went wrong for them. They got outshot badly by the Kraken 18 to 32. I mean, anytime you get outshot that badly, you probably shouldn't win the game. But thank God they have Igor Shesterkin in net. Played a great game, 31 saves. You pulled it out. The game before that, everything went right. After the game, Coach Gallant said it was the 60-minute effort they were looking for the entire season. They had a great game. What could go right did go right for the Rangers on Friday, and what could go wrong did go wrong, and yet they still won both games, which is something they're really not accustomed to seeing. And i got to give Shesterkin credit here because he's been playing out of his mind. I don't know what they're putting in the water before the games. Whatever it is, it's working. And you got to think that the young pieces they have will eventually start to come together, as well as some of maybe the lesser-known pieces, something that I, I thought was really crucial for that win Friday. Hunt, Rooney, and I believe it was McKegg. That line was really pesky around the net against Columbus, and it wasn't getting enough credit as it deserved. Because anytime you have your second, third line play that well and are that pesky, you're going to win hockey games. And I think that's something that we're going to have to pay attention to. Because everyone will talk about Fox, Panarin, Zivanejad. we got to start paying attention to some of those guys in the second and third line, the Hunts and Gautiers of the world. Absolutely. I mean, it's been, I feel like that's been the story of the Rangers the last two seasons, really. This team trying to make the playoffs, and they obviously have the high-end talent to do so, but it's can their second, third, can their bottom six guys get it done and They've, you know, they did have that, uh, the game on Friday night was their most complete game. I think Gallant said in the post-game conference how, you know, he got something from every line that right. night. And that they definitely need more of that because as incredible as Igor Shesterkin is playing right now, and he has been playing absolutely incredible, can you rely on him to be this good for the rest of the season? Probably not. Took the words right out of my mouth. And Shesterkin has been the Vesna guy so far, him and Freddie Anderson. Um, but you can't you can't expect this for you can't he I mean he stole the game against Seattle and he stole the game against Toronto. Um, you can't expect him to steal two out of every seven games uh, for the for the rest of the season. So that's that, that that's what they got to clean up. Uh, but I mean yeah if look if they play obviously you're not going to play every a great game every game for the entire season. But if they play every game like Columbus, they're in the playoffs. Right. If they play every game like Seattle. I don't think they got a prayer with how good the Metro's been. You lose that game against Seattle seven times out of ten, probably. They got out shot, what, two, at least two to one, right? It was 33 to 18 or something? 32 to 18. 32 to 18, yeah. so not quite two to one. But, it, it, I mean, yeah, they, they were thoroughly dominated, but they scored two goals, popped in an empty netter, and Shesterkin stood on his head. And that's just not a game you win terribly often when giving up that, that amount of shot value. So I think Columbus gave you the look at this is what it means to be a tougher team to play against. 
And Seattle gave you the look at, oh boy, when these guys aren't any good, we're really not very good in the defensive zone. Um, so, yeah, I, that that's that that's my that's my Rangers issue well, so far. Well said on both fronts. I think you're completely right, Chris, in that you can't expect this from Shosturkin each and every time he hits the ice, or Georgiev for that matter. I don't think he's going to give you anything close to what Shosturkin. They could trade him at the deadline. I think it'd be smart because I think you need. They, they should have like three years ago. They, they should have three yeah. years. Uh, the Pajot deadline. They should have yeah. traded them. At that deadline, because he was playing so well, him. and they yeah. w- they would have gotten right. a, f- a second round pick for him. They're they're not going to get anything from him now. He's playing terribly, and they're going to let him walk at the end of the year. Well, maybe he strings together a couple of games with this, the tandem, and you can. <laughs> you got to hope that happens at the beginning of February. Right. Yeah, and that tandem. I mean, that tandem is pretty much gone right now. With the way <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. playing. Exactly. <laughs> well, his save percentage is point uh, nine four seven. He's been playing out of his mind. And also, this is an interesting stat I found on the road. His goals against average is first in the NHL this year. Yeah, and uh, well, you look at the Toronto game and the Seattle game as the number as the answers to that question, because those were one of them went to overtime and Seattle was a regulation game. He gave up one in each of those games, and then Nashville too. He gave up one goal in that game. Happy times in the Garden for sure. Right now, it is certainly even. quick stat before we move on to the Devils. Oh God, because you mentioned you no, I wasn't going to. I'm not kidding. I'm not even kidding. Well, I was on. not going to mention. Look, even Ralph's boy. I was not going to He's a Ranger it. fan too. I was not going to mention it, and then you mentioned the save percentage, <laughs> and I had to. So yeah, he stopped 94.74 percent of the shots in his seven games this season. Would either of you like to guess where that would rank? Among Henrik Lundqvist's seven game like seven game streaks in his I would career. say it's second behind the Penguin series. Do you guess? I want to say it's third. It's fifty third. Oh. Nine forty seven, you said? Really? Nine forty seven. That's how dominant Henrik Lundqvist is. And Henrik Lundqvist had fifty two seven game stretches, regular season and postseason. Regular season and postseason that were better that were than better than nine forty seven. Holy smokes! I don't think we're getting that out of Shesterkin, but That's, I think we, uh, <laughs> I think we we have a prayer at maybe my, making the playoffs. My, my guess was like the third best playoff series had by a goaltender in the recent history, behind the Halak series against the Capitals and the Bennington series against Boston. Like those, like yeah. the Hendrick series against Pittsburgh is like one of the best of all time. And then, and and I was wrong. I thought it was gonna be high too when I read it, and then I scrolled down. I was like fifty third. <laughs> Incredible! All right, enough with you two in the ring. I'm done. <laughs> It's all right. It's all right. We can talk <laughs> Islanders soon. But for now, we do have to talk a little bit about the Devils because Jack Hughes is now out at least five weeks with that shoulder injury that he had sustained against the Kraken last month. He scored two goals in the season opener. So missing him for a myriad of reasons is really going to hurt the Devils. Off the top of my head, this is really the worst case scenario for them because the Metro is very, very crowded. And losing a guy of this caliber is not going to help one bit, especially when your opponents are that good. Yeah, yeah, I think that's well said. This is pretty much a full-blown disaster. This team probably was never going to make the playoffs, so this was about uh, Jack Hughes' 30-goal season. or And obviously Dougie Hamilton's up there too, but we know what we're going to get from him. He's 29 years old. We've seen him play for 10 years. We know what we're going to get from Dougie Hamilton. You're hoping to see a major step up from Jack Hughes. You saw it last year. You didn't exactly get the numbers, but... When you look at the underlying numbers and how low his shooting percentage was, it, it made you think that if this was an 82-game season, he would have picked it up. This year, he starts out on absolute fire, and then and then the separated shoulder. So, it's 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 a complete disaster for for New Jersey. But I mean, you have to hope that he comes back in five weeks and is ready to go. And it's a disaster for the United States Olympic team too, because they're not going to have Jack Eichel, who we could talk. We don't have to talk about that. He's not going to be traded. Um, you and, sure. 
Well, every day he's <laughs> trending on Twitter. Stop getting him trending on Twitter if he hasn't traded yet. I think, you, what... I think you could find a home on 34th Street. No, they're like not very much. For, I mean, I, we just had a whole conversation about their salary cap. <laughs> they're not traded for a $10 million guy. He's going to Vegas if he's going anywhere. And <laughs> yeah. he needs to stop trending on Twitter if he isn't getting traded. That's my that's my Jack Eichel rant for the day. Anyways, um, it's a complete disaster for the U.S. Olympic team, who now they're not going to have Jack Eichel. And who knows what Jack Hughes is going to be when he comes back at the beginning of December, if I'm doing that math correctly. So, uh, tough for the Devils, but I obviously hope that he, he is healthy when he comes back in December because that's... That's what this season rests on is is eighty six. Yeah, they're 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 four and two and they're oh they're in, playing great. only in sixth place in the Metro. I mean, it just talks for how strong the Tell Metro is. Tell me about is. it. They're in seventh. Yeah, I think I mean the Penguins are in eighth and I I think they're like three and three. Like I don't think there's a below five hundred team in the division. But uh, yeah, it's tough. Obviously, I mean, if you'd want to lose a player like Jack Hughes, hypothetically, you'd probably want to lose him at this point early in the season so sure. you can get it out of the way. And you just got to hope that some of these other guys can kind of pick up the scoring that he would have provided. One of those guys is Pavel Zaka. He's got four goals so far this season. This is a guy who his claim to fame is being one of the biggest busts and maybe the one of the most stacked NHL drafts of all time. Picked six overall in that 2015 draft, and he's never been able to put it together. But he's had a pretty good start to the season, so who knows? Maybe we get a little bit of a career resurgence from him. But very unfortunate injury for the Devils, and you hope that Jack Hughes is able to come back soon. They're going to have to make up a lot of scoring because I'm looking at the numbers right now. They're ranked 21st in terms of power play percentage. And then compounding that with the fact that you're ranked 28th in power kill percentage, it's not a good combination. No, that's not a good combination. Not at all. It's amazing they've won four to six games being that right. low in penalty kill. And now you're going to misuse. You're not going to have a guy that can put the puck in the net. So the way I see it, the season's kind of over for them at this point. Well, because, I mean, it was over before it started. This well, all right. In, in in fairness, I think it was possible, maybe not likely, but possible that another team in the Metro imploded to the point where the Devils might be able to make it interesting. I'm not saying they'd make it, but I thought it was possible heading into this. Like, it, I can see a situation where the Rangers implode, unfortunately. I could see it happening. It's historically proven to happen. So losing news here is such a bad break for them. I can't even begin to imagine what this, the rest of the season is going to look like once they get off of whatever small hot streak this is, being 4-2, and two, and they start playing to their actual talent level. Yeah, I think, I mean, he's not out for the season, right? He's out for five weeks. So if they, they keep keep it together a little bit here and they're able to, you know, maybe maybe they do. Maybe somebody gets hurt in the other Metro divisions and, and maybe they do, they do pull it together and, and make a little run. But I, I don't think... Th- yeah, it was possible that either Pittsburgh or Washington completely imploded to start the season and the Devils were able to sneak up. With the way both of those teams have played, I don't think that it was realistic to say the Devils had a chance after about Game 2, even with Jack Hughes. But I don't know. That's that's just how I see the Metro right now where nobody loses. And it's like, you know, we can talk about the Islanders, but it's like they lose they lose to the two undefeated teams in Florida and Carolina and they lose a game they never should have lost to Nashville. And it's like, oh, they're in seventh place now because nobody in this division loses. Yeah, that's been it's it's going to be a tough division. We talked about it before the season, but it's going to be there's going to be good teams to miss the playoffs. And I guess yeah, we can touch on the Islanders very briefly, but they've only played the one game in the past week since last time we recorded and it was that loss to the to the Predators, but you know, they're they're playing a lot better than those first two games, I think. It's safe to say that, you know, those first two games they were bad, but 
I believe they've put that behind them. They've got points in five straight now. And halfway through this road trip, if they can just keep this kind of trend of staying a little bit above 500 throughout the rest of this road trip, I think if you're an Islanders fan, you really can't ask for much more. And what, a 14-13 game road trip to start the season? 13. It's an insane number. And if they yeah, if they can keep it above 500, that's all I could ever ask for. It's just when you get forced to overtime in the first place and then end up losing that game to Nashville, they never should have lost that game. I mean, the, Nashville's been really bad all year. They have two power play goals, and they give up. It's not even on Sorokin. They just give up two goals that, that were deflected, and one was through a screen, and all of a sudden it's 2-2, and then you go to the stupid shootout, and, and you lose. And it, it's unfortunate, but I think that and their schedule is going to get tougher here. I mean, they play Montreal next. But Cole Caulfield got sent down to the AHL today, but um, they've been so bad. They've been so bad. <laughs> they should win that game, but it gets tougher. They got Florida again. They got Tampa. They got Winnipeg. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a tough run here for the Islanders. And um, I, my hope is that they hit a little bit of stride and start a win streak or are in the midst of a point streak um, when the Calgary game hits. Take the home take the home ice advantage that you're going to have. Take the energy that's going to be in that building that night. And, and run it through the month of December. That Just let's hold our breaths, get to November 20th, and we'll see where we go from there. That, that's where I am on the Islander season, and maybe that's a little naive because it's 13 games, but I think that if, if they're able to get to November 20th above water, they'll be fine. Curious, how are you feeling about Varlamov? I'm a little concerned, I'm not going to lie. Um, he is off of IR now, so he should play uh in this next week here they play Montreal on Thursday so maybe he'll get in that game because there's just been so bad but yeah I'm a little bit concerned especially because he confirmed it's the same injury that kept him out of the Pittsburgh series so now so part of it is like well wait a second he had an incredible series against Boston and an incredible series against um Tampa sorry good god Tampa (laughs) um you blacked that out of your yeah I have that's right yeah (laughs) success um uh, with this injury, and then he's going to miss seven games, especially like when you need a back-to-back situation. Obviously, Sorokin was fantastic in the second game, but yeah, uh, it is a little bit concerning. But you know, it is what it is. Certainly, will be interesting to see what happens with the New York teams and what happens around the NHL. This has been another edition of Five on Three. Be sure to listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, and other places. Five on Three is a production of WFUV Sports. Alongside Tyler Mooney and Chris Hennessy, I'm Colin Lochran saying see you next time.